Thanks for listening to our messages from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources and information on connecting people to Jesus for life change, visit us online at southbridgefellowship.com. It's uh, great to see your faces and uh, just looking out at y'all and knowing what the message is uh, this morning and what we're going to be talking about through the scriptures. It's so encouraging to my heart just to know you got hundreds of stories that are happening in this room and that Jesus wants to meet each one of us. I hope you had a good week this past week. If it's anything like mine, I had some ups and some downs, and I was just, as we were worshiping, even reflecting on some of that, and then thinking about last Sunday, you know, when we gather together, we worship a big God, amen? amen. And anything's possible, anytime we come together. I don't know what's going on in your life and in your stories or what you might want to bring to the cross or uh, how Jesus might want to transform your thinking, your mind, your heart, your life, deal with stuff from your past, all those kinds of things. And I think about last week we gathered together. And uh, just to give you some extremes of what happened, um, we rejoiced together as a church too, so I'll tell you this news. We had somebody place their faith in Jesus as their Savior last week, which is awesome, right? Yeah. And then we, we also, at the, on the other end of the spectrum, we had somebody share some incredibly heavy and difficult news of things that were going on in their life. So I realized that when we gather together like this, both things are happening. Some people, incredible, amazing spot, like the best place you've ever been with Jesus, and some people, the lowest lows. And uh, Jesus can do something in all of that. Isn't that great? And uh, we're going to ask him to do that in just a moment. We're continuing our series called Encounters that we've been doing through this summer, going through the Gospel of John and just looking at how Jesus interacts with people and then what happens to those people when they interact with Jesus. And so we're going to see some of that today. And we've got a special guest speaker, a friend of mine. His name is Dave Morley. Uh, as a pastor. And one of the interesting things about Dave is he's been on church staffs, basically every role you can have. He's been a worship pastor, a senior pastor, a youth pastor, most recently a discipleship pastor uh, at a church in Arkansas in the in Cabot, Little Rock area, for those of you who are familiar with that. And so if you like the SAC and Arkansas Razorbacks and all that stuff, he's not actually a fan of them, but it's great that you can connect in that way. Uh, he's actually a Cubs fan. Um, yeah, we got a couple. All right, not offensive to them. You got a section over here, Dave, when they get up here. And uh, from the Chicago area, originally been married to his lovely wife, Leslie, who's here with us, uh, 28 years. And they've got three grown children uh, that all love Jesus and are all over the country uh, doing the things that they're doing. And uh, Dave, he's even uh, produced a, a movie that was played in public schools. And so he's got a, quite a bit of experience. I love to speak at conferences and camps. And so he's going to be preaching from John chapter 12 today. If you want to get a head start, you can go to John chapter 12. But why don't we give him a hand and uh, welcome up here, Dave Morley, going to be preaching for us this morning. And Dave, if it's okay with you, I'd love to pray for you before we yeah, get Is that okay? Absolutely. Let me pray. Thank you. Father, thank you so much uh, for Dave uh, just being able to be here with us today and opening your word. And God, I just pray that you'd anoint his lips with the exact words you have for him. I know he's prepared. I know he's got a plan, an outline, the verses. You do whatever you want to do in his heart. Speak to him as he speaks to us. And God, speak to our hearts. And like I even mentioned to our body already, lots of things happen in all of our hearts. Will you calm them now as we open up your word? You can calm the ocean, the sea, when it's a raging storm, and some of our hearts are anxious. And will you calm them? It helps to be still, know that you're God. And some of us are just ready and hungry for your word, and I pray you'd feed us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, brother. Good morning, Southbridge. You look fantastic. You sound great. Um, John chapter 12 is where we're headed this morning, and as we, as we get going, thank you, Pastor Scott, for for just allowing us to come and be with you. And let me just tell you that Raleigh has some great food. Um, <clears throat> I packed, but we had to go shopping yesterday and get some fat, stretchy pants. And, and uh, man, we've just eaten a lot in, in a short period of time, and it's been awesome. Um, so I can't complain at all. 
Um, as we get going, I could spend a lot of time talking about lots of things, but, but we're just going to kind of cut to it because we are short on time. I, I am originally from the Chicago area. I talk fast, but I've already discovered not as fast as your pastor. Um, yeah, it, it's great to, to watch him online because you can back up the podcast and 15 <laughs> seconds back. What? So um, we, we have to get through a lot this morning. Um, but I'm going to try to keep it at a pace that's good. Even coming this morning, Leslie's like, okay, so how much time are you going to take? And I said, well, as much as I possibly can. Um, but this morning's a little bit different than, uh, I told Les, a little different than what I usually do. I love to kind of, kind of dive deep in the text. This morning, as I've kind of backed through your website and caught a lot of the messages about this encounters with Jesus, I, I love the stories of Jesus. I love his encounters. So I really kind of wanted to stay with that. Um, as close as possible. Um, I always say that when Jesus does something incredible, somebody gets mad. Uh, and it's just so consistent when you look at these encounters that we have. So to kind of set stuff up this morning, even as Pastor Scott has just prayed, every one of us have come in this place with all sorts of different emotions and baggage and hurt and joy. Here's what I want you to know this morning. God knows exactly where you are. Some of you may have walked in this place and, and, uh, and sort of put on a mask, put on sort of a, a church identity. I, I just want you to know you don't have to do that um, because God knows exactly where you are. And here's my promise to you this morning. He's going to meet you where you are. The consistency of God's word is that he's always pursuing us. Uh, from the very beginning of creation with Adam and Eve, they sinned, they went and hid. What did God do? He went after them. He pursued them. Moses ended up on the backside of the desert. What did God do? It said he went to him on the backside of the desert. Jesus came, Luke chapter 19. He simply said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. God is always in the business of pursuing us. So this morning as we get going, I just want to ask a simple question. How many of you know the name Roy Riggles? Anybody? Any, no, any big sports fans? Roy Riggles? Okay, Pastor Scott knows Roy. Uh, would it help you if I told you about Wrong Way Roy? Okay, a few. All right. Guys, help me out. I'm going to give you a couple of pictures. The year was 1929, January 1st. The Golden Bears of UCA Berkeley were playing Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets in, in the Rose Bowl. Probably one of the, what has kind of become the known to be known as one of the worst blunders in all of college football as uh, somewhere around the second, mid-second quarter, um, Georgia Tech had the ball there at the 30-yard line getting ready to push into the red zone, and, and uh, Jack Stumpy Thompson fumbles the ball, and Roy Riggles picks up the fumble. And, and in the process, he gets hit multiple times, and, and he kind of gets spun around, and, but he starts running with everything that he's got, and he's running hard in the wrong way. And with all that he can muster, and with all the excitement, and all the adrenaline, and everything else, and with all the passion, and all the sincerity that he had, he just kept running. And he ran, and he ran, and he ran 69 yards. A teammate, his name was Benny Lom, chased him down. He was kind of known as somewhat speedy, and so he chased Roy down at the three-yard line. And he was able to convince Roy, stop, stop, turn around. And he did at the three-yard line and immediately just got pummeled 
by multiple Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, and he was downed at the one. Now, bless his heart, right? Everybody in the room goes, poor guy. I mean, he, he was an athlete. He was a national award-winning athlete, but Roy became known till the day he died as Wrong Way Roy. Even though he was a phenomenal athlete, great awards, he was a team captain. I mean, he was so respected, but that's how he became known. Now, before we just start blasting Roy too bad, let me just honestly say, I believe that we are all just like Roy, right? I mean, it may not be on a football field or, or some kind of sports arena, but let me just tell you, in the arena of life, we are all Roy. I can honestly admit, even through my life, sometimes you just get to the place where, whether it's a, a dark period of life or whether it's a habit, whether it's an addiction, um, maybe it's just a way of thinking, you, you sort of come to that place where you wake up and you go, how in the world did I get here? Has anybody else in this place experienced that Roy experience? We all have, haven't we? Come on, affirm me. Yes. Yeah, we, we've all been there. So this morning, here's what, here's what I want you to understand. It doesn't matter where you are. My prayer, as I've kind of been preparing, is simply that the Holy Spirit would be our Benny Lam this morning and just chase us down wherever you are, whether you're in the back, sides, the front, somewhere in the middle. Everyone around you may not know everything that's going on, but I promise you this, the Holy Spirit knows where you are. And this morning, he is pursuing you. He is chasing you down. You may be running in the wrong direction, and you may be very sincere. But the Holy Spirit's chasing you down. John chapter 12, if you are there, let me just skip forward just for a moment to kind of set this up. Pastor Scott is very big on context, and so I want you to understand the context of the entire gospel of John. Because in John chapter 20, in verse 30 and 31, this is what John says, and I believe this is the key to the gospel of John. He said, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Verse 31 says this, but these... These stories, these happenings, these encounters are written, why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have, what? Life in his name. You may be sitting here this morning with no hope, no life. But these things are written so that you might believe. Matter of fact, at the very end of the book, because I almost, I've always kind of felt like, well, that's the end of the book. But then John had a couple more thoughts that he kind of threw on there, and he closes uh, chapter 21, verse 25, with these words. Look at them on the screen. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. You know why? Because every one of us have an encounter with Jesus. And if all those things were written down, there's not a computer big enough to hold all the stories. Certainly not all the books that would be written about the encounters that Jesus has had with you and with me. So this morning in John chapter 12, as I started reading through the passage and, and just praying about what God would have me share with you this morning, there's some great stories here. There are some wonderful encounters, but uh, I want to focus maybe a little bit different perspective because what I found interesting is I was sort of just working my way through John chapter 12. I found it incredibly interesting the various encounters that Jesus actually had in this portion of John's letters. Um, you know, he, he had encounters not just with his friends, not just with the disciples, not just with church folk, but I would say that Jesus was out there, right? He's out there. He's kind of mixing it up with all sorts of folks. 
And so actually what I want to do is I want to take John 12 and to sort of get a grasp on it, I want to work backwards through the chapter. Are you with me? Is that okay? Awesome. I want to look at three groups of people that Jesus encountered in John chapter 12. And I believe that somewhere in one of these three groups, you're going to find yourself. Because I found myself there. And in all honesty, when I looked at my life, I found myself sometimes in all three of those camps. And I have to be very deliberate to be running at the goal for which Jesus called me. And so I believe you're going to find yourself there. Here's what I want to do. I, I want to share three things. Jesus encountered first his foes. Okay? I, I'm kind of a preacher teacher, so I, I had to kind of come up with something that they're all F's. So just kind of stay with me, right? First, I want you to see the foes that Jesus encountered. Beginning in verse 37 down through verse 40, Jesus has an encounter with what I call his foes. You could say it's his enemies. And it simply says this, even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word that Isaiah the prophet uh, simply said. He said, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And for this reason, they could not believe, as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deadened, or your translation may say hardened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn, and I would heal them. We've all encountered these kind of people, haven't we? Man, Jesus is unbelievable. Look at all the things that he's doing. But for whatever reason, they would not believe. They could not believe. They did not believe. This particular group, before we start getting real hard on them, this was a group of unbelieving but very religious Jews. Sometimes that's us, especially in American culture. It's very easy to be religious and yet unbelieving. I've always defined religion as man's best attempt to reach God. Where What Jesus is offering Christianity is a relationship. It's, it's God offering his love and his grace as we've sung about so wonderfully this morning. Just reminded that Jesus lavishly pours his love on us. In spite of all this clear evidence, here's these religious Jews. All the wonderful evidence, all the power that they'd seen with their eyes, and yet they rejected it. And here's what I've found. When when you're in that bad place of, of addiction or hurt or rejection of Jesus, the longer you stay there, the harder it is to get away. People who reject Jesus over and over and over find it harder and harder and harder to accept the things of God. So verse 37, it said, they did not believe. Your translation may say, would not. We kind of all know people like that, don't we? Man, you've heard about all the wonderful things of Jesus. You've heard about his love. Why would you not believe? Why did you not believe? Verse 39 says they could not. Why? Because their hearts had become so calloused. Seth, thanks for reminding us of that verse this morning, right? To remove from us a heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. One that's soft, one that's pliable, one that's teachable and moldable. You might have come in here this morning with a cold and hardened heart. Unwilling and unable to receive the love and the grace of Jesus. And and God is pursuing you saying, just let go. And receive that love, receive that goodness. See, when we begin to resist the love and the grace, the light of Jesus as he's referred to, something begins to change within them. They come to that place where not just that they won't believe, but they can't believe because their life is so hard. I love hearing stories of older 
folks who come to Jesus. It's, it seems so easy for a child to come to know Jesus, right? Because they're so innocent and, they, and, and their life's just not hardened. To hear dear brother Mike talk about leading his precious mother at 88 years old to Jesus Christ. What a beautiful testimony. But those are, those are rare because more and more through life, people become hardened. They become callous. And, and we can't simply convince them. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to chase them down, pursue them, and display that grace to them. In this little passage, as, as Jesus is talking with these religious Jews, probably six to eight times, depending on how far you read, he uses the word believe. Believe is absolutely key to John's gospel. In 66 of the verses, all through the gospel of John, sometimes twice within the verse, John uses the word believe or believes. And, and it's important, I think, before we move forward to understand these other encounters that he has, simply to understand what it is to believe. And it's also important for us this morning to, to simply say, you know what, it's real easy to look at these religious Jews and, and call them enemies of God. But I want to make this extremely clear. The Bible says that we are all enemies of God, that we are all sinners before God. Matter of fact, very clearly, you can see it on the screen. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, Paul says, for what? All have sinned. All means what? All. Every one of us. Welcome to the club. You and I all have a membership card to this place called the Sin Club, right? We are all sinners. I've got three incredible children and, and a one gorgeous wife. And I'll tell you what, they're all awesome. But Leslie and I never had to teach our children to sin, right? Any parent in the house just have to teach your children to be selfish and, you know, no. Why? Because we're born inherently sinful and that sin separates us from God, right? Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin, what we earn because of our sin is death. The word death literally means separation. So my sin separates me from the God who's loving me and pursuing me. And my sin begins to drive me away from him to pursue my own desires, my own flesh, Romans 5, 8, what a beautiful verse, simply says, but God, right? In my sin, running from God, but God demonstrated his own love for me, even while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. So when we understand this word believe, I have to give you a picture illustration, if I can stay with me for just a moment. Sorry, guys, you probably didn't know I was walking off screen, did you? <clears throat> I love this picture. Maybe you've seen it before, but at least in my mind, it's really helped me understand the difference between an intellectual belief and the belief that John is talking about, the belief that Jesus was talking about. Because Jesus, in his story in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, that encounter, he said, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, what, believes in him. Nicodemus is standing physically in front of Jesus. John is talking about people who are standing physically in front of Jesus. There's no question they believe in his physical presence, in his being. Matter of fact, in American culture, there's more historical documents proving the existence of a man named Jesus than there is proving that George Washington was the first president of the United States. So it's not a question whether people intellectually believe in the person of Jesus. So what is John talking about? To believe. 
The, the word that is used in Scripture is, is a beautiful word to believe, and it's not just intellectual. It would be my, like me saying, hey, I believe that this is a chair. Does anybody else in the room believe this is a chair? Great, terrific. Okay, so we, we have about 95% agreement in the room that this is indeed a chair. How many of you would honestly say, man, I, I believe it's pretty well constructed and manufactured, and I, I believe that it would hold me? About 50%. Okay, so this chair, I just promise you, I did not get it. I didn't rig it. I didn't hacksaw any leg or anything like that. But we can all sit here and intellectually agree that this is indeed a chair, just as we can all intellectually agree that Jesus existed. So when we talk about belief, because the Jews believed in Jesus, and if they were foes, they could not believe, they would not believe. Because the word that John uses, the word that Jesus uses, carries with it the idea of to give oneself over completely, literally to surrender. So I can stand here all day and say, man, what a great chair. This is a wonderful chair. I know this chair would hold me. I've seen it used. I've seen it demonstrated. I have great stories of people who've rested comfortably in that chair. But until I come to the place, right, of completely giving myself over and complete surrender to the chair, to where I'm no longer standing on my own, I am completely rested in the chair, that is the picture of the word believe. I've known a lot of people who believe intellectually in Jesus. Satan himself intellectually believes in Jesus far more than I do. He saw him die on a cross. He saw him buried in a tomb. He saw him risen. The Bible tells us that Satan intercedes, right? Constantly condemning the believers to Jesus. He knows that he's alive. He intellectually believes, but he's never surrendered his life. Some of us this morning are foes of God. We're enemies of God. And although God has pursued you time and time and time again, your heart has become hardened. And the longer you reject God, the harder it is to receive. And yet I've also met people who so incredibly have come to that place of absolute brokenness and surrender. And that story becomes one of those miracles that leads others to the throne of grace. Maybe that's you this morning. Do you know for certain you've come to the place of not an intellectual belief, but a surrender, giving yourself over to Christ? Those were the foes. And let's be honest enough this morning, we are all broken and sinful. There's not a person here who's not. Me first. The second group of people that I want you to see, which I think is really pretty incredible, I call them fans. Fans. Jesus had a lot of fans. And you may be here this morning as a fan of God. Look in verse 9. I'm going I'm to just read a few verses and, and set this up for you. Verse 9, John chapter 12. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, get this, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. That was chapter 11, right? He was dead. Jesus shows up at the tomb. Hey, roll away the stone. I love the phrase. But Lord, he's been dead for days. He stinketh. Right? If, if you have the King James, I love that. It says, he stinketh. In other words, come on, seriously, you roll that thing away, we're going to have some serious stench going on here. I've had boys in my home, and I've had lots of their friends, and I understand serious stinketh, right? 
Oh, come on, Lord, really, he stinketh. He's like, come on, roll away the stone. People knew about this. People were there. They were gathered. They knew all about what was going on. So not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead. Look down in verse 12. The next day, the great crowd gathered that had come for the feast. Jesus was there for the Passover. He, the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So again, here's this crowd gathering. Look down in verse 17. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and had raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Verse 18, many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. They weren't going out to meet him because he was the Messiah. They heard about all the incredible things that he had done. Let me just admit, Jesus was fascinating. Wasn't he? Jesus was absolutely fascinating. He was healing people of all sorts of diseases. He's raising people from the dead. He's doing incredible miracles. He's feeding thousands of people. He's telling incredible stories. I believe Jesus was the most incredible storyteller that ever lived. He's caring for the outcasts of society, people like women, children, lepers, the demon-possessed. I mean, come on, Jesus is fascinating. He's running a whole herd of pigs off a cliff. I would have loved to just be there and see that, wouldn't you? They do this thing in, in Alaska at New Year's where, you know, we celebrate with fireworks and all kinds of stuff. They drive cars off, off the edge of a cliff. I mean, sometimes you just want to be there and go, whoa, this is absolutely fascinating, you know? I mean, who wouldn't want to be around Jesus? He's running pigs off. He's doing all these unbelievable things. He's walking on water. He's turning water into wine. He's making, get this, the religious leaders of the establishment mad. Who wouldn't want to be there for that? But seriously, who wouldn't want to be around Jesus? The most tender, the most compassionate, the most loving, the most caring, the most gracious man who ever lived. Of course, people were drawn to him. They, were, they wanted to just be around him. They wanted to be a fan. As Pastor Scott mentioned, one of my spiritual gifts is that I am a Cub fan. Um, <clears throat> I, was, I was born that way. I've, I've learned from a very young age to be a gracious loser, to just sort of just go with things. But it was amazing in 2016, after 108 years, how many people became Cub fans, Right? <laughs> Why? Because these guys are fascinating. They're fantastic. Of course, I've been a Cub fan for years. I'm like, you liar. You're a liar. I know you're not. We live in Little Rock, Arkansas, where there's not many Cub fans, but I have a lot of Cardinal fans, you know? Um, so, you know, but that, that's kind of what people were doing. They were just fascinated with Jesus, and they wanted to be around him. Matter of fact, in John 12, we have the, the story of Jesus coming, right? What we call Palm Sunday. Hosanna, Hosanna. These people a week later are saying, crucify him, crucify him. Why? Because they were fans. Much like today, I think there's a lot of people who are simply intrigued with the idea of Jesus. They're, they're intrigued. They're fascinated with the church. And they come sort of in an attempt to acquire maybe a little bit more goodness to be accepted by God because they know in their heart they're broken and they're sinful and they, they know they have a need for a Savior. But they're content to sit at a distance and just be a fan. 
man, I'm fascinated with what's going on. It's awesome to hear of people of Southbridge gathering and praying for those that are sick, to hear of people being healed, to see the things that God has been doing in the life and the ministry of the Southbridge family for 11 years. People in the community are fascinated, and, and they want to come, they want to see, and, and they want to sort of clap at God from a distance, but not get too close. Maybe that's you this morning. I love sports. I grew up watching sports, grew up at Wrigley before they had the high technology of lights. Um, used to get in the bleachers, you know, the bleacher bum section, the dollar. I mean, it was, it was awesome. Some of you are excited. There's college football starting up. Is it this week? I'm not a big college football guy, but basketball season's coming, right? Major League postseason baseball's coming. Hockey season is coming. Anybody? Uh, okay, all right. So there's plenty of room for three of us to get in a room and watch hockey, okay? Um, but, but I love sports, and, and, and I, as much as through the years I've loved being on the field, I, I love just going to a game. I, I, can, I can go to any sport, any time of year, for any reason, even curling. I love curling, right? But just to, to be there, to be a fan in the stands and to cheer and to just sense the excitement of what's going on, that's awesome, isn't it? But in, in the Christian life, God calls us to more than that. He says, I don't want you to just sit on the stands and observe. I want you to get on the field. I want you to get in the game. Come on out of the stands and get on the court, right? Put on a jersey. Get sweaty. Get involved. Get in the process. Don't simply observe from a distance, but come and get involved. I love this quote from a great little book called Life on Mission by, by Dustin Willis and Aaron Coe. And, and the quote simply goes like this. I think you can see it. God himself is on a rescue mission. As he invites people into a right relationship with him, joining God in his mission will require that we become willing to extend the invitation to others. You see, you can be a fan of God and you can observe from a distance, or you can accept his invitation of love and grace and in brokenness, surrender your life to Jesus and get in the game. That's what he's inviting you to do. Lastly, I want to look at one last group of people. I simply call his followers. His followers. That's what Jesus invites you to. Jesus knows that you are an enemy. You're a foe. But he still loved you and he died for you. God knows that you know all about the great things that he's done and about his love and his mercy. We've talked about it. We've sung about it. We've read about it. We've prayed and asked God to meet us here. But it's not enough just to know those things. Christ invites you to be a follower. So at the very beginning of the chapter, verse 1, look at it with me. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now just stop right there for a moment, because in verse 1, there's no mention of the disciples coming with him. Anybody else notice that? It didn't say that Jesus and his disciples came with him. It just said that Jesus came with him. I find that interesting that there's no mention of the disciples. Why? It's, it's assumed in the text because they were what? Followers. They were his disciples. They were his followers. Where Jesus went, they went. Say it with me. Where Jesus went, Why? Because they were 
followers. <laughs> you see, when we come to know Jesus Christ, when we come to that place of believing and surrender, and we accept the call to be a follower, where Jesus goes, I go. We sing wonderful songs about following Jesus. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Oceans, right? God, lead me where my faith is without borders. I have to admit to you that I've probably lied a lot in times of singing in church life through my lifetime. Because I sing words that my heart really doesn't mean. But Jesus invites me to be a follower. Matter of fact, in Mark chapter 1, I'll throw it up here so you don't have to turn there. Mark chapter 1 is Jesus is calling his very first disciples. I love what it does. It gives us an invitation and a description of what it means. Here's what he says. He says, come and what? Follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once, they laid their nets down and they followed him. You see, Jesus' invitation is not to be an attender. It's not even to be a servant. It's not, it's not to be a worker. It's not to be a volunteer. Jesus' invitation is to be a follower. And when he extends that invitation, come and follow me, look what he does. He immediately gives you a description. And I will make you fishers of men. You come and follow me, and I'm going to make you what I want you to be. Isn't that a beautiful picture? So in John chapter 12, six days before the Passover, Jesus comes to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. It's assumed that these guys, because they were followers of Jesus, to follow meant to not just to literally follow after, but to also to obey every future command. See, when they laid down their nets, they laid down their life. To lay down their nets didn't just mean, oh, hey, I'm done with this net. It meant my job is done. My career is over. My business is surrendered. There's nothing else about me that matters because I'm following Jesus. That's huge. So he picks it up in verse 2, right? Because Jesus came to Bethany. Your text may say that he arrived in Bethany. And we know that where Jesus goes, his followers go. So verse 2, here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served. Now, i got to tell you, this is not the first time that Jesus is having dinner with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. There's also a story in Luke that tells us the same thing. Mary had invited Jesus. And, and in that context, it's really interesting because when you look at those two stories, the first time it's recorded that Jesus had, had dinner with Mary and Martha, Martha's working. She's a worker, worker, worker. And she comes out and she complains to Jesus, Jesus, I'm doing all this work, and Mary's just sitting there with you. Right? But it's interesting because this passage doesn't do that. Mary begins to see her work in perspective with her following Christ. We're going to get to that in just a second. So here a dinner is given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, a pint. Not one of those little one-half ounce, you know, a pint of pure nard. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with fragrance of the perfume. One quick observation. Mary was not one that showed up at Jesus' tomb after he died. 
to prepare his body with this perfume. Why? Because she did it while he was still alive. She could have used this on her brother Lazarus, who stinketh. (laughs) But she chose not to. Why? Because she was saving it for her Savior. She had this encounter with Jesus. She was a follower. I love these siblings, Mary, Martha, Lazarus. What a, what a cool group of siblings to hang around with, right? You got a worker, you got a worshiper, you got a witness. I love each of these because I think part of what John is conveying for us here is the beauty of each of these different siblings, and it conveys to us as a follower of Christ, all these things in my life matter to Jesus. Martha represents work. Listen, your work matters to God. You don't don't work where you work by mistake. You work because God planted you there as a missionary. See, I'm a firm believer that your job, whatever it is, is simply the means by which God's going to meet your physical needs to allow you to do the ministry that he's called you to do. So Martha represents our work, and our work is an act of worship, but Mary is just simply worshiping Jesus. Her life is surrendered to worship Jesus. It didn't say that she sang a song. Singing can be worship. Work can be worship. Words are worship. Service is worship. Prayer is worship. Reading God's word is worship. Ministering his love and grace is worship. Lazarus, what a witness. What a testimony. How how many people can share Lazarus' testimony? Yeah, I I was dead. I was stinketh in the tomb for days, but Jesus brought me back to life. Listen, if you're sitting in this place and you've come to know Jesus Christ, the Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sin, but we've been made alive through Christ. You and I stinketh in our sin. But when we come to know Christ, he makes us alive. He told, he told Nicodemus in John 3, you must be what? Born again. In other words, you have to die to yourself and surrender and be born again. So I don't know where you are. But as I close this morning, can I take us back to our old friend, Wrong Way Roy? After the game in a press conference, obviously a lot of people wanted to talk to Roy. Let me give you a quote from his, his post-game press conference. Here's what he said. He said, I was running toward the sidelines when I picked up the ball. I started to turn to my left toward Tech's goal. Somebody shoved me, and I bounded right off into a tackler. And get this, here's what he said. In pivoting to get away from him, I completely lost my bearings. I don't want to be too hard on Roy, because life is hard. And sometimes we simply lose our bearings. We don't don't know where we're at. And we may be moving forward in life with the best of intention, in the most sincerity that our heart can muster. But in all honesty, we come to that place of just looking up and realizing, God, I'm not sure how I got here. But you know what? Here's the promise. When we come to that place of of just stopping and acknowledging and we look around and say, God, I don't know how I got here, but listen, I'm grateful you're in this moment with me. All through this place, would you do me a favor? Just bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. I just want to lead us in prayer. As I do, just very quick, I want to ask you a very simple question. Where are you this morning? I'm not sure what your situation in life is. I don't know where you are. I don't know what's happening. 
you may be an enemy of God. You, you may be here saying, man, I've been around church for a long time, but I don't, I don't ever recall a moment that I surrendered my heart and life to Jesus Christ. And maybe that's you this morning. And, and in the stillness of this moment, you can simply invite Jesus Christ to be your Savior. To say, God, I've been running from you, and I know that I'm an enemy, but God, this morning I acknowledge your love and grace, and God, the best way I know how, I just, I just surrender my life to you. Would you please come into my life, forgive me, make me the person that you created me to be. Maybe you're a fan, maybe you're intrigued with Jesus, but again, you've just never come to that point of surrender. I invite you to do that, and for many in this place, I know that you're a follower. You've given your life to, to Christ. You have a story that could be written and fill this world with incredible stories of his goodness and his grace. But maybe he's leading you to a dangerous place, an unsafe place, an unsecure place. Maybe he's inviting you to follow, and maybe he's kind of taking you someplace that is a little uncomfortable for you. Would you just ask him right now to say, God, I, I surrender. Wherever you lead, I'll go, God, it's not just the words of a song, but it's, it's the expression of my heart to you. God, I want to be a witness. I want to use my words, my life, my work, my worship to be a witness of your goodness and your grace. God, thanks for inviting me to be on mission with you, to share the hope and the grace of Jesus Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.